This episode is brought to you by Upcase. Now that you've mastered the basics, Upcase makes it easy for you to take the next step. Not a boot camp or a MOOC, we're a finishing school. We'll show you how the best developers around tackle coding challenges, what their backgrounds are, and how they got to where they are. Stick with us, and soon you'll be taking the junior out of your title. Learn more at upcase.com. I could have come up with a lot of titles where a comma's having meeting. I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that I'm back in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. So I've got uh, 330 RubyConf proposals, which actually, how many did you end up, how many does RailsConf usually end up with? Oh, I don't know. A lot. More than 330, I'm guessing. Uh, probably. Yeah. So I actually, I've done pretty well. I stayed on top of it. I, I was somewhere, when the CFP closed, I was already somewhere over 100, 100 reviewed. And uh, as of this recording, which is just a couple days after the CFP closed, I am at 303. So Wait. I only have 20-something to go. Really? Yep. So I have a half hour to 40 minute train ride in each direction. And so I just yeah. like tether to my phone and start reviewing. It's really low bandwidth. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't eat up well, all my cellular data. And to be fair, 90% of them are very, very easy to review. <laughs> I wouldn't say 90%, but a good chunk is, uh, you know how like when you register for a new service, you have to like check a box that says I agree to the terms and conditions. Yep. I just want it to be like, I've read Sarah May's blog post on what a good... <laughs> what a good conference proposal looks like. I mean, a decent number of them are also just legitimately spam. Oh, uh, we didn't get too much spam. We got a couple of them. When I say legitimately spam, I don't mean like a bot. I mean just like somebody who submit who clearly submits to every CFP and their talk is to promote their product. Yes, we see some of that. And a couple people like submitting incomplete proposals, which I feel is a way around the deadline of the CFP because uh, you can edit your proposal after the deadline. So people submit things with like just a short abstract, no details and no pitch with the intention of like perhaps going back and filling it in. Too bad Derek reviewed your proposal too quickly. <laughs> also like, you know, if anybody has done that, like, yes, a couple of people have asked, like, do you get notifications if I update my abstract? Because they're concerned. Like I ask a question and then I go away and they're like, uh, I updated the abstract. Are you going to find out about this? <laughs> uh, For those and, wondering, yes. Right. Yes, so do. you do get a notification, but if you're reviewing 300 and something talks, it can get like I get a notification on any talk that I've rated that has been updated, has been commented on publicly or has been commented on by a reviewer. So you can, you know, you run the risk of getting getting lost in the notifications, but I definitely try and make sure I get all the way through them. Yeah. It's funny. I know a lot of people are like I don't want to get lost in the noise. I you know, I tried to respond to feedback and of course it's good to acknowledge when people have responded to feedback. But it's also on the flip side. It's like when you're going through that many proposals, this is going to sound way meaner than I than I wanted to. But l like the difference between accepting one person's talk and another and another person's talk that, you know, it's going to end up being like, OK, so we have a one percent worse program because we didn't notice that the person like respond to all the feedback and tune their talk just right. Yeah, it's certainly best to get it right the first time right don't rely uh, yeah on the i guess that's my, my point that i'm trying to make it's like that it <laughs> right. sounds it sounds mean but like anything beyond that is a courtesy is all i consider it a courtesy yeah like you submitted this thing i'm giving you an opportunity to edit it so 
yeah. Well, of course, you're getting paid lots of lots of money for the time you're spending reviewing the hundreds <laughs> upon hundreds of proposals, right? Um, sure, I think, right? Didn't you? <laughs> uh, the it has been awesome though. I've really enjoyed it. Like, oh no, it's great. It's taught me a lot about writing my next proposal. Like, even just the title, right? Because like that's the first yeah. thing I'm going to see is the title. So yep. like even just having something that's like, oh, okay, setting my expectation that there's some promise here with a good title or an intriguing title is great off the well, bat. Well, even, even getting accepted aside, right? Getting people to come to your talk. Right. Your title and the abstract are the two most important pieces. That's actually some feedback I've left on some of like the proposals that had like really excellent content, but then the abstract was very like focused on their own personal experience using the word I or mm-hmm. or saying something like this talk will be about and then like t- saying what the talk is going to be about um, or saying I will cover, you know, like that type of thing, mm-hmm. which is appropriate in the details. But the ad like the thing I always respond with and it's in Sarah's blog post. So I'm just going to regurgitate it basically, but is like this is the thing that helps people decide to come to your talk. And really, so is, <laughs> it's the title first off <laughs> and mostly and then maybe the abstract so like you really got to nail those and then the other thing i'm taking away from it is um a lot of people will do a good job with the title and the abstract and they kind of they do a good job of teasing you so that you want to know more right so you're like okay i'm said i want to know more about this topic that i previously had zero interest in so so far you're doing great but then in the details they don't spoil the tease so like i don't know what you're actually going to talk about now <laughs> like, uh, i mean i don't necessarily think that they need to actually lay out everything about the talk because... i don't think it needs to be everything but you got it but like it can't just like there's got to be something that you couldn't include in your abstract that you can tell me a little bit more of in your yeah. details i mean certainly you need to include evidence that's going to actually be a good talk right and beyond just the abstract of like i'm interested here like, cause right. I think one of the things about an abstract is, is that it contains just barely enough content to pique your interest, but not actually enough that like, okay, well, I've seen this talk now, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you actually can include enough in 600 words <laughs> that afterwards somebody's like, well, I've seen this talk now, maybe you need a meteor talk. So to me, that details now has become like a thing that's like, okay, pretend I did decide to go see your talk loosely. What do you intend to cover? And of course, as we've discussed right. before, you're never going to be held to that because I'm not going to go back and say like, your details said you would do this. Right. You know? No, but I mean, it's your pitch for the for the reviewers. Right, right. I, I do think to a certain extent when reviewing, like the abstract sort of becomes the difference between actually thoroughly reading the pitch section versus skimming or the detail section rather. When review, what, what were you saying? The abstract becomes the abstract sort of becomes the way that the person submitting, like it determines whether or not the reviewer is going to actually in thoroughly read the details versus just skim over them. There's a few things that do that for me. So obviously, like a good abstract will take me from like a topic I wasn't particularly interested in to like, oh, let me learn more about this because it sounds like it could be a good talk, or it just sounds like this person really knows what they're doing, right? The other thing will be like even if the abstract isn't like particularly great if that to- if i think the topic is a great fit for the conference and it's like okay maybe we can work with this then i'll then i dive in you know i'm going to i'm going to read the whole thing anyway but like how how closely am i paying attention how like invested am i when i'm reading the details in the pitch yeah. um is set by either the abstract or like whether or not i think the content or the track fit is really good like ooh if we're going to if we have this track like this is a great talk for this track you know, and there are some tracks that, like, to be honest with, I'm not like I, I'm not as sold on as other people. But I I try and review those talks as if like 
okay, we're going to have a track on X. So, you know, is this one of the best talks for that track? Yeah. Um, and I think we're going to end up with, I see, uh, you know, there's a good number of things that I've rated, you know, it's a five point rating scale and there's a good number of things that are fours and fives. So I think it'll be good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the tracks, I agree with you that some of the tracks are, uh, iffy. <laughs> well, I don't think, I, I mean, they're just not for me, right? Like somebody, sure. the tracks are there because somebody was interested in, in having that track and it's fine that, you know, they're just not for me. And even in like some of the internal comments I've said on on certain things, like this talk isn't for me, but I can see from the abstract and the details and the pitch that like it will be a good talk for people who are interested in this type of thing. Well, and that's also why there's a dozen or so people ultimately reviewing everything so that you do get a reasonably diverse right. set of uh, opinions. Right. And so far, like once you rate, you can see what other people have rated. And so far, like there haven't been there's been some like two point disagreements but i've yet to see like a three point disagreement on on a talk right Uh, but most of the time everything's kind of within a point or so of each other so far so um i'm not sure if that's good maybe it would be better if there were more like (laughs) you think this is a two i think it's a five uh anyway yeah i i do i do find it really interesting when there is that wide of a gap Mm -hmm. because it happens it happens a few times Okay, I haven't seen one yet, but again, like I'm ahead of the game on reviewing things, so I think other people haven't haven't reviewed quite as many talks. Yeah, you're through over 300 already. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah, you know, it's a game I wanted to win. I actually, I have a family vacation coming up this weekend, so I wanted to get through them and not have to worry about uh, doing that over vacation. So, so yeah, CFP review. It's going. It's sounds exciting. Like it's done mostly. Just about. Yeah. I might get through it today, and then you get to go on to this mode of the application that I'm not familiar with, called the program mode, where I actually get to see who submitted what and like start trying to slot talks into things, and it'll be fun. And I hope to see a lot of people there. Provided. So you're for sure coming, right? I am ninety percent going. Okay. I have a vacation that butts up against it with my family, and I feel a little bit conflicted about leaving my vacation and going strictly to a work thing because bring your family. Oh, that's true. They'll love it. It's yeah, yeah. You know, they can miss two weeks of school instead of one week of school, which is already going to get me in trouble with the school. <laughs> school. Who needs it? Yeah, it's overrated. I talked to Sam about our. So a few episodes ago, we made a request for our spec to swallow standard out. Mm-hmm. The idea being swallow standard out, but write if there's a failure, write what you swallowed. And he was immediately and vehemently against that idea. <laughs> <laughs> but he did open an issue on our spec, which I thought was uh, really good that I ended up retweeting as a result of the conversation and, and things he was thinking already previously, obviously, based on the shape of the issue, to make it a configuration to fail any tests that writes to standard out. I so mean, like, it accomplishes that's a little a bit more thing. of a nuclear option, but sure, I guess to a certain extent that can accomplish... <laughs> well that accomplishes his i guess that accomplishes his i feel strongly against this and here's how i'm going to make sure that nobody ever does this no it was more like um so i said our spec should swallow standard out and sam said nope 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 <laughs> <laughs> how, oh there were some good reasons have you considered what that would do to pry <laughs> it would do horrible horrible things to pry is what he said um, i mean I would assume Pry would be capable of overriding whatever our spec does. Oh, then they'd have a fun little dance. Yeah. It'd be a good time. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would assume that one of the first things that Pry does is set dollar sign standard out to capital S standard out. Maybe. Who knows? 
But the idea basically was like an rspec.config.fail on examples writing to standard error or standard out. Ooh, standard error or standard out. I don't know how I feel about that. Writing standard error should probably fail tests regardless of this issue. Writing if, standard error implies that an error occurred. What if you're trying to verify that something was written to standard error? Then you will presumably be overriding whatever RSpec does because you're mocking out standard That's error. That's true. That's true. All right, never mind. And the same could be true of standard out. You could be trying to verify that something writes standard out. Also use dependency injection. But my, so like I didn't actually want the swallow standard out feature. I just wanted clean green dots. <laughs> Sure. That's what I'm after on every project, and this would let me get there because, like, I just actually got to the point after like um, I'm what almost two months on this client project where like the test suite is clean green dots, and I'm already angry in advance of the fact when I run the test suite in the next I don't know sometime in the next week there's going to be more output there. So having this configuration that's like nope we don't allow that I think I I, I would very much excitedly opt into. Uh, yeah. So. One side effect of swallowing standard error is going to be that you turn all deprecation warnings into test failures. Awesome. Which, I mean, might be a thing <laughs> that you want. Might not be a thing that you want. Also, if you're working on an application, cough, cough, Shopify, cough, cough, where <laughs> like this is high enough volume that you're really con seriously concerned about this, then, all then deprecation warnings would defeat the entire purpose of this feature to begin with. Yeah, and I, and like in the actual issue, which we'll link to in the show notes, Sam talks about a way inside an example to override this behavior on a like case by case basis, or you know, in an example group or something like that. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just loaded up the issue, and there's some chatter about like maybe a metadata option is better, but whatever, something like that. Sounds like it might happen. I'm excited. So, did you know that the audiobook of A Game of Thrones is roughly one five day road trip in length? <laughs> have you completed that audiobook or are you just setting it up no to... <laughs> that's our plan for tomorrow oh okay moving Thanks. to america tomorrow in case you forgot i didn't know you were moving there tomorrow i knew you were coming so that's it you're 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 out you're yeah see you later we have so long a Canada. large pod thing in our driveway and another one in our front lawn mm -hmm. which is what all of our furniture is going to go into and then sometime the day after tomorrow we won't be here Hopefully it gets picked up. If not, it'll have a lock on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Canada. Nobody's going to steal anything. But yeah, as of tomorrow, so long. Uh, actually, not as of tomorrow. As of the day after tomorrow. Tomorrow we go to Toronto. Ah, okay. So we don't actually get to America until the 1st. Hmm. That's presuming we let you in. Yes. Well, I hope so. <laughs> and I hope so quickly because we have tickets to see Hamilton that night. Ooh, exciting. And we need to get to Chicago by like 6.30 so that we have time to check into the hotel and get to the show. Yeah. Is Ruby coming on this trip with you? No, my mom is coming uh, late, late tonight to get her and then is leaving. My okay. mom gets in at like midnight and then is leaving at 6 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Um, but she's taking the baby with her uh, so nice. because like there's absolutely no way we can drive across the country in my Ford Fusion with the dog and the cat and the baby. Mm -hmm. And make it and in any amount of reasonable time. <laughs> I mean, not even and make it in any amount of reasonable time. Like literally just survive there is not enough room <laughs> for all of those things in one car in yeah. one small sedan and that's cool you're moving right into the house you bought or you... yes that was the plan or no no we're gonna live with my mom for two weeks okay because our furniture is gonna not gonna get there till like late september oh uh, okay because moving trucks that go across the country take about three weeks to a month right unless you want to pay a serious amount of money to make that quicker <laughs> I have not found a way that to pay a serious amount of money to make that quicker. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Money talks, man. 
Maybe. <laughs> For the amount um, of money it would cost you, you'd probably just buy new furniture, though. Yeah. Well, we're replacing a lot of our furniture anyway. Cool. So that's a thing. Exciting. It's happening. Cool. Now I find myself wanting to talk about Game of Thrones, but we won't we won't be that podcast. Why not? We're not coming out for like <laughs> this isn't coming out for like two or three weeks, right? We're, we'll be free of we'll be free of reasonable spoiler uh, nah, territory. I don't think anybody's listened to hear my thoughts on on Game of Thrones. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do it after the we'll do the thing where we did Star Wars after the after the uh, the credits or something. Right. I was gonna say if people if people <laughs> care about our opinions about Star Wars, people care about our opinions about Game of Thrones. <laughs> They're the same thing, right? Yeah. It's got icy Darth Maul, so. Icy Darth Maul. That's, that's yeah. how I refer to the Night King, is, yeah. dicey, is Icy Darth Maul. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. What else is going on? You know, content for our show about programming. Oh, I don't know. I don't program anymore. I've raised babies and moved to America. <laughs> so uh, I just had an interesting conversation with some folks about doing like large-scale refactors and how pull request review might impact that. Do you think, I want to pose this to you, like, do you think people are less likely to endeavor upon, like, what they consider needed refactorings if they know there's going to be a code review at the end? Like, do you think code review, do you think when you're doing refactorings, does the code review that you anticipate impact how hard you might pursue a certain refactoring or how excited you are about uh, starting that refactoring or anything like that? Well, okay, so you switched you switched questions halfway through. <laughs> okay, answer them both then. <laughs> okay. Because uh, the two questions you asked were what I would do versus what I think other people would do. Okay, yeah, sure. No, I do not let the existence of code review generally impact me going after a refactoring or not. Mm-hmm. I do think that for most people, yes. Yeah, uh, like, and I can see that. And even I, so like I don't generally fear it. But I do also have times where it's like I do a refactoring and I know that I'm touching some code that I know people have wanted to change for a long time, but I'm not changing it in the way that they want to change it. So, but, right. but by me touching it, I now become responsible for it, right? And it's like, oh, well, while you're in there, can you do this? Um, <laughs> that's the kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's the thing that happens too. Right. And that's the kind of thing that I fear, I think, when I'm going towards it, but it never stops me from being like, I feel like this is needed. And so I'm going to do it. In fact, I would say that like what actually stops me from it is often like process outside of the code and code review. It's like, how do I get this? Like, do I need to have a ticket for it? Do I need to get the ticket prioritized? Am I allowed to prioritize the ticket? Am I allowed to put it in the sprint? Am I allowed to select it for development? Am I allowed to assign it to myself? Like that type of stuff is actually more detrimental. Are you sure you're not doing waterfall? <laughs> Sounds an awful lot like you're doing waterfall. That's Jira. Um, what I'm doing is Jira. Like, so yes, and actually, that's only some. That's only some Jira. Like I've certainly been involved in organizations where it's like, um, you can report the issue, but you can't assign yourself to an issue. And like, they typically have like some sort of regulation reasons for doing things like this. Like you can't assign yourself your own work, and you have to have it re- like certifiably reviewed by somebody else and that's not the situation i'm in now but i've definitely been in those situations sure if they're legal requirements that's different right but like i I, while we were having this conversation i just kind of kept being like i don't think the existence of the code review is not the problem it may be that the execution of the code review is the problem like we're maybe we're being too stringent or it could also be that the scope of the refactor was just too broad i was trying to figure out like 
or like how how would you address like you answered that you think that the existence of a review at the end could definitely scare some people off from endeavoring upon these things so how would you address something like that I don't know. Like, okay, so like all of my opinions on this are gonna, you know, are incredibly colored by survivorship bias. Okay, but I don't think it's a bad survivorship bias. <laughs> I remember the first two or three weeks when I started at Thoughtbot, and I could not get <laughs> anything by you and Caleb, <laughs> and it sucked. Mm-hmm. But I learned a lot. And I got through it, and I became a better programmer because of it. And I also learned to stop being afraid of code review because after we got through that initial month-ish long phase of, like, I could get nothing done, <laughs> everything went smoothly. I think you're overstating it. It's not that you couldn't get you could get nothing done. It's just that we had comments. Um, right. Okay. I could get nothing done in... In it one took me go. Three ti- it took more about three times as long as I expected to do anything. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. That's why. That's why I mean, though. Like, it's not a bad thing. It was, you know, occasionally I found some of the comments a bit pedantic, but uh, <laughs> generally speaking, they were all good. That I think is ultimately what was causing the conversation we were having, like something like that, where it's like, uh, I don't know if if it's as related to that, but it's something I struggle with on a lot of like client projects. Is like. I may go into an existing situation where code quality is not fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. And people are either new to Ruby or new to this project and they're coding the best they can code on this project and they're looking at existing patterns and kind of trying and kind of following them when they may not be the best patterns to be following. And I come onto this project and it's like, here's a PR, review this PR, right? And the thing I always struggle with at that point is like, how hard do I review? this PR, right? Like I can't apply the same strictness that I might have applied to you in that first week because like the expectation at that point is is, is different, I think. The comments are a bit more involved than this this method is more than five lines long. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, and also it's like, you know, if I were doing this change, I would do three large things differently and about a half a dozen small things differently. Right. I think for a lot of it, you can help a lot by, especially if it, if it is a sort of case where it is somebody who's just writing something a certain way because they're following existing patterns in the code base. I think you can help a lot by um, providing actual code examples in your comments. Like, hey, what do you think about doing it like this instead? Here's an example right. of what I mean. Right. And that's what I, that's generally what I try to do. And I also will try and focus on the fact that <laughs> they are where they are today because of this code in part and because of the rest of the business, obviously. So like improving it incrementally is as acceptable as improving every, is improving like everything that I see at the snap of my fingers, right? Like if I could somehow right. magically do that, then yeah, great. But the idea that like every PR from the moment I set foot on the project must be 100% what I would have written or like would be acceptable to somebody who, you know, has been doing Ruby for five years, 10 years or whatever the case may be and shares like the same ideas on what good Ruby code, Ruby code looks like. But like just trying to pick out like one or two things and saying like, uh, okay, like I would like to see us. I, I think it's important that as a as a team we improve. You know, we stop writing module methods and start writing classes, instantiating classes, and calling methods on those classes, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so just like focusing on just that for a little while until that improves, and then moving on to like, okay, now we can focus on like the next problem and like. It can be hard if you're coming from a project that had like higher standards than that because you're like, well, now I feel like I'm I'm ignoring some problems. But the case may be that you are, but you're also doing the project 
a better service by allowing like progress to continue and incremental improvement to happen. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, I'm not saying this is realistic, but in an ideal world, you shouldn't need to change how you review things from one project to another because the person who is being reviewed is is within their rights to just ignore certain comments if they don't feel that they're valid or something that they want to pursue right now. Right. And everybody's within their rights to do that. It's whether or not you're within your comfort to do that. Right. Of, co- of course, the majority of people like are going to assume that any comment from review needs to be addressed because that's... I don't know, the default response, but... Right. And it's also, like, that approach that I was just talking about is also, like, useful in a, like, (laughs) I don't know, winning friends and influencing people kind of of posture as well. Like, if I come on a project and this is my first week and you submit a PR and let's say there's, like, a team of developers and, like, five PRs come in and I leave 30 comments on each of those PRs from each of those developers, like, those developers, when I leave, are going to look at each other and be like, that guy's a jerk. Right, like, <laughs> like, like. Whereas Let's if I'm be just honest, like, they're going to do that no matter what. <laughs> whereas if I just leave a few comments, it's like high level, and you're kind of like, co- it's more of a coaching process at that point. It's like, what can we improve today? We can improve this today, and then I won't need to talk about that on the next PR. And on the next PR, we can talk about something else. And also, like, I don't know. This is like a kind of now I'm getting back into the code review talk I did, but also like calling out specifically what I liked about the change. Um, and I think I kind of get away from that. Like once I settle into a project, I tend to get away from explicitly calling out like, oh, cool. I like the way you did this here. Or like this was a hard problem to solve and you got it. Good job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably trying to get back to more of that would be good as well. I don't know. I had a person whose code I was reviewing today and my review was, I will bet you $5 that if you ship this, it will cause an incident in the next year. <laughs> Like an incident being a service disruption for customers. Yeah. I mean, and for those types of things, like um, there was one I had where it was like, you're passing unvalidated user input to a function that is going to run a system command. So let's slow down. And there are times there where you, you just have to be like, well, let's put the brakes on here. I feel pretty... Mine wasn't, mine wasn't quite like that. It was, it was <laughs> just a thing that developers were going to end up using and had a ton of gotchas and was really really easy to use poorly and at a company of 2000 people if your code is easy to misuse somebody's going to misuse it yeah and that's that's related to the kind of thing i was talking about as well it's like actually in this one instance it's not a case of this because you happen to call this other method first but there's nothing that says you have to call this other method first. And it's only yeah. a matter of time before somebody does it without calling that other method first. And then in a separate PR, somebody did it without calling that other method first. <laughs> and I was like, oh, perfect. It happened a week later. Like, Well, it's a good a, thing you were reviewing that then. It was a good learning. It, but it was a great, I think it was a good learning experience. Because it was like, oh, here's the conversation we had about this earlier. And here's why you know, yeah. we need to stay on top of these types of things. So there's certainly going to be things that you're just like, I have to comment on this from a like almost ethical standpoint of a like this is I, I i feel strongly that this is bad for whatever yeah. reason and you're always gonna have to comment on those uh did you know the person well that you bet five dollars was going to cause nope. an incident nope. okay i had never met them before today. i don't know i don't know how or i would maybe, take that i think it was yesterday <laughs> i don't know how i would take that was that your opening conversation <laughs> No, it was like I didn't. It was I, after like, some back and forth. It was after. So I think it was they, they sent it to me yesterday and I was just like, I think this is broken. Basically, what they're trying to do is make it so that you can pass money objects to where. OK. And the issue was that this only takes into account the value, but not the currency. All right. Uh, and I was like, well, it seems like this is broken because it doesn't take into account the currency. And then they sent me a, a new PR today. And I'm, like, and I'm looking through it and I'm like, 
this looks like it still is broken because it just takes into account the value and not the currency. Mm -hmm. And then there was some back and forth and uh, they didn't quite seem to get like what I was getting at. So I was like, I think it's rather reckless to ship some code like this that has very, very major gotchas to it. Yeah. And they still didn't quite get it. So that's when I was like, I'll bet you this will cause an incident if you ship it. Just to make <laughs> my, my point perfectly clear of like when you're doing things related to money, you need to have code that is impossible to misuse in a company this size. That makes sense. Because this is going to end up being a thing where where something gets processed as in the wrong currency because a developer reasonably expected that passing this thing to where behaved exactly the same as passing it to the setter of that same model, in which case it does take into account the currency. Would you accept, I guess you wouldn't really be able to, in this case, as I say, would you accept a test that codified that behavior, but you wouldn't really be able, like with where you can't. Yeah, you can't test that like nobody's ever passing this object and not also. Right. You don't know what the, the expectation is, right? <laughs> yeah. Of the caller. My suggestion was like have an explicit money where method and don't use metaprogramming at all. Okay. Is the thing I want to add an API for? This is what uh, this is the like the canonical example I always use for what I've referred to as the composed attributes API. Yes, I was going to say, haven't we talked about having? Yeah, we have, yeah. and it's a thing that because mutability is a much harder problem to solve than you would expect. Okay. We actually had a meeting about this uh, like a month ago. And I thought I had a breakthrough. I'm like, no, wait, that actually doesn't work at all. Uh, and I still am convinced there will be one day be a way to do it that's going to have a severely limited scope and will freeze a lot of things. But uh, <laughs> Freeze all the things. The problem is freeze deep all freeze. the things. Right. So because of the lack of a way to deep freeze things, right. you know, I can't just say, well, I'm going to freeze the side that we don't want you to mutate. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to go into like all of the reasons why it's hard because it's actually really dull. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there, there, it's an API I would love to add to Active Record. It's just one of those like I always hate these situations where somebody's like, "I want to do this thing that you know there's a need for," and I have the exact case that you always use as the example. Uh, I'm like, cool, yeah, don't try and do that. <laughs> There are reasons it's not there right now. <laughs> Have you considered some tests that codify this behavior? <laughs> anyway, yeah, code reviews. It's tricky because, uh, you know, people are tricky. But yes. I will link to the show notes, in the show notes. So I will link to my own talk, which, you know, I got to do that. But also, uh, I recently watched another code review talk from Vaidehi Yoshi. Do you know her? No. She works for Tilda or for... Oh, I think I might have met her this yeah. last week, actually. Anyway, she did a... She did a so Vi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Vaidehi. Uh, I'm sorry if that's not correct. I follow her on Twitter, but I've never had reason to say her name out loud. She did a talk at RailsConf this year called Goldilocks and the Three Code Reviews, which was also very good, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Oh, I heard good things about that. I mean, right. watch that one. Yep. So we'll link to that in the show notes. And if you've ever received code review from me, you can watch my code review talk and tell me all the ways that I ignored my own advice or potentially see the games that I were play I was playing <laughs> by forming everything as a question. <laughs> um okay. I feel like that's uh that that about sums up. I haven't I haven't been doing uh I'm trying to think if there's anything like super technical that I could discuss that I've been doing but like not really. I mean, if you want to discuss all of the technical details of boxes and packing tape. <laughs> I've got, I've got you covered. Nope, not really. Uh okay, we should wrap up. Sure. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm or directly on your podcast listening device. 
As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any of our other episodes, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. Adios. We didn't talk about Game of Thrones. Are we going to talk about Game of Thrones? Yeah, what would you think? Uh, okay, here's the spoiler section of our podcast. What did I think of the season in whole as a whole? The season as a whole I enjoyed, but I enjoyed it with a tremendous distrust of the writers almost the entire time. I mean, that's rather the purpose of the show. I guess. But like, so like the whole thing with Sansa and... Um, oh, I mean, that was bull. And everybody knew, everybody knew Littlefinger was going to die. I didn't know he was going to die because I didn't trust... So the whole thing that they were setting up with the conflict between Arya and Sansa, I didn't trust the writers not to screw it up. So I was just mad that they had this storyline at all because I thought the fact that they would have this storyline and dedicate so much time to it at all meant that they were really trying to get over on us that there was this conflict, right? When, like, if you've paid attention to the show, like, from the first episode, like, all Ned talks about in the first season while he's alive is that people are going to be trying to drive wedges through wedges through the family and they need to stay together and, like, <laughs> just foreshadows this entire thing, basically. And that the fact that both of them would forget that or that Arya would forget that somehow is a little weird. I mean, I liked the way it ended out, ended up. It just felt like they hadn't done the work necessary to, like, I don't know, earn my trust that I, they weren't going to screw it up. So that it no, wasn't. I agree. It was it was a bad that was a bad storyline, because from my point of view, it was just I called it as bullshit from the get go. Right. And my the hope, whole thing was just super forced. My hope was that it would turn out like it did. But my fear was that it would not. Because I didn't have any reason to sus- to believe them. Um, can we talk about things that were good? <laughs> Zombie dragon. Zombie dragon is nice. Is that so? Is he breathing Zombare? ice? Is he breathing ice? No, he's breathing blue fire. So okay. how you know he's a zombie dragon. Okay, that was pretty cool. That whole scene was good. Like, dragons in general, um, thumbs up on dragons. They evidently fly extremely fast. Uh, <laughs> right, because every everybody gained the power to teleport this season. I yes. don't know if you noticed. Yes, I was extremely happy with just like the battle with the uh, the when the Lannisters were coming back from High Garden, uh, and you know they flew in there. Oh, and... the the loot train. Yeah. Yep. So I was pretty happy with that. That was cool. Like just an overall entertaining thing, but from a entertaining season, but from a storytelling perspective, not their best. Like just like some things that didn't make sense. Like the whole idea that like a whole bunch of people bought into the fact that they needed to go north of the wall, somehow kidnap a zombie, somehow bring it back to King's Landing, and somehow not get killed by Cersei in this in this thing, and then like that somehow she would see this thing and agree that like yes, we must confront the White Walkers, and we're gonna do this, and we'll do it with you, and we will agree to a truce in the meantime while we do this right so like she doesn't like originally she doesn't agree to the truce and she she walks out right and so they're all yeah. standing around and they all actually say like we're f-ed, right because now we're gonna go fight this thing in the north and she's gonna take back all this land then yeah. she comes back and says you know what never mind i am gonna help you and they're all just like cool all right and they don't consider for one second <laughs> That she's lying, right? That it's like, well, oh, well, she said they, she said she would help us. This is I great. I mean, it's not, it's not like she just came back out of the blue, right? I think it's reasonable no. that her brother to think that her brother convinced her. I guess. And that was my other major problem with the season was just like, just how fun Tyrion used to be, <laughs> and yeah. how not fun and consistently wrong he is now. It's yeah. just like it's really unfortunate. Like he got nothing right this season. 
I don't yeah. think. I think he got everything no, he wrong. Didn't. And then even when you're like finally like, okay, Tyrion, like it's just his sister playing him again. And that at least had some basis in like advancing the story because like, you know, you could see that he always thought of himself as the smart one and the only one that could play people, but it turns out um... Yes, we are talking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> but Sorry, it turned but it... one no. Yeah. So like he thought he was always the smart one that could play people, but it turns out she's actually pretty good at it too now. You know, that was interesting. Because she was ever bad at it. I mean, he thought she was. Sure. Um, and I also kind of supported that whole thing just as a reason to have Jamie like kind of wake up and be like, F this, I'm out of here. Right, we're finally getting our Jamie redemption story. I guess. One of my major problems with Game of Thrones as a whole is that it wants me to forget that Jamie pushed Bran out of a window in the right. first episode. Which is just an awful thing to do to a child. <laughs> or anybody, really. But, it, like, a 10-year-old boy just pushed him out the window. And, like, it tries really hard to make you overcome that. And for whatever reason, I can never fully get on board with Jamie because I just remember, nope, push Bran out a window. Uh, but I can see that that's what they've, tr- you know, they've very clearly tried to make that a plot line throughout the... That wasn't, like, a sudden turn. They've, like, made a conscious effort. Especially, I think it was, like, season three they spent... Whatever it was where he was with... Um, oh, uh, Bran. Brand of Tarth. Yes, they were trying. They very, very clearly tried hard to sell, sell that. Tess says that um, that Jamie's going to end up killing Cersei. Yeah. Prophecy of the Valonqar. Fulfilling the prophecy of the Valonqar, apparently. Sure, I'll I'll buy that. But could it be? I buy it. Could it be Arya wearing Jamie's face? Maybe it just says the little. I think like the little brother will end up killing her, like after she has three children. Right. So then she can't have this other child. Right, so he's going to kill her and her unborn child. Or, or the death of the child will cause her to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Are we sure she's pregnant? No. Mm. No, we are not. Mm. Could, it all, could she be playing that, Jamie? Could, that, could does, that... that sure does sound like a thing she would lie about. Right, because it, 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 advan- it like got Jamie back in her corner. It did, and yeah. It, and she used it to play Tyrion. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what do you think about John and... Uh, John and, and uh, Danny. Did you see the behind the scenes where they're like both gagging at the thought of that scene? <laughs> no. They're both what? like, it was funny. They had, about, uh, they had about that much passion on screen. So, you know, I could see that that would be the behind the screens. I mean, so, you know, the fact that they're doing it makes the whole he's the rightful heir to the throne maybe slightly less contentious, but not really. Because even if he doesn't want the Iron Throne... She's certainly going to be incredibly distrustful of him when she eventually learns this knowledge. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see that in like six years when they come out with the next season, how that you know, how that all gets handled. I thought that was really well done the way they kind of like tie like it's a thing we've known was coming for you know quite a while right. now, but like the way they just did it with narration and what they showed during the narration, I thought was really well done, and it was nice to see something from 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 Bran, 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 Bran. We're American. Um, it's Bran. Bran. And also, anytime, any episode that involves uh, the guy who fought in Tyrion's stead there in that battle up at the moon door. What's his name? Bron? His name actually is Bron, isn't it? Come I on. don't. You know, the guy. He's funny. <laughs> this, this is definitely not staying oh, in the show. Oh, the, uh, the guy who's with... Bron uh, of the Black... Sir Bron, Bron of the yeah, Blackwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking anytime about. Anytime yeah, they the can guy. work him into an episode, I'm in. 
myself. I, I did. I did like that bit with him and Tyrion, where they're where they're just like, "It's good to see you again." Yeah. <laughs> and you can tell they're both like, "You're an asshole, but I like you." Yes, I enjoy that about. And I enjoy like, that. In all... It's like me with most people. <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> I do just think it's funny every time somebody comes who hasn't seen Bran since he got pushed out the window comes back and sees him for the first time, and they're like, "So, how are you?" He's like. I'm the three-eyed raven now. <laughs> it's just like, and he clearly, clearly this character expects that person to have any clue what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> I did like that Sam calls it out where he just goes, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> but then 30 seconds later is like, oh, you have psychic powers. I'm going to believe everything you say. Mm, that's true. All right. I don't know. This was uh, hot takes on Game of Thrones. Do you have any additional hot takes on Game of Thrones? Just, I, I do I do think that it's funny because they're making the seasons shorter and shorter because they're like, we want to end the show. I've been surprised by that because HBO like basically makes all of their money off of this show now. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing I noticed that was just different between this season and the previous seasons so when John goes from the north down to Dragonstone, in previous seasons, there would have been like three episodes where they just like show the trudging across the entire country. Right. And that was and have tons of little character development moments. And, and you could call it filler, but it was sort of, I think, to a certain extent, what made the show a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because that's all of what they cut this season. Right. Yes. Anyway, so just. I don't know. I find it interesting. Yeah, they they cut it, and I think it hurt them on like the Danny and Jon Snow like like that's oh, that I think whole it hurt thing. The show. Everybody right. was hurt by it. Like, just there was less character development as a result, and right. and it felt like everybody had the power to teleport. Yes, I could have gone for two more episodes, two or three more episodes. I think would have been enough. Yeah, there was one season in the middle there where it just seemed like wherever when Bram was just walking forever, it was just like can, I'm done with this guy. Can he die or something? Like I'm done. Can, I don't want to see him walking with these people anymore. You should have um, had the wheelchair earlier. <laughs> he, I was getting carried he, he by Hodor. Let, 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 let's clarify something. Bran definitely wasn't walking anywhere. It's true. <laughs> All right, All I right. have to go now. Yeah, later. All right, bye.